Well, I want to thank Roy, Mitch, and Jeremy for jumping in this summer and taking every other week of our sermon series. It was great to sit back and listen to the sermons and uh, take in um, their messages. And so I appreciate our staff and the great job. They step in and fill the gap and really, I mean, just have such a passion and love for God's Word. And that's what you want out of your pastors. And so I appreciate them and the great words they said this, um, this summer. Also, I want to remind you, August 29th, we mentioned it, you saw the video, but that is our Intro to Grace. If you're newer here, you haven't um, went through the official class, you don't have to do the membership class that follows, but we would love for you to at least jump into that Intro to Grace to kind of get a formal picture of why Grace is here. And we're going to cover a lot of why Grace is here today, but uh, the class really goes in some different directions that we're not going to be going today. So anyway, let me pray, and we'll jump into uh, what God has to say for us this morning. Father God, we thank you for Grace Church. We thank you for the way that you work in our lives, both individually and corporately, God. And God, as we just talk from your word today and look at your word, we know that it's a challenge to live for you in a world that is constantly pulling us in a different direction, God. But you give us not only the power, but you give us the passion and the resources to live for you. And I pray that today that we will see that and that we will allow it to sink deep into our hearts and we'll live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Back when I was in high school, uh, PE class typically was your normal PE classes, you know, guys with dodgeballs and crazy stuff and not much structure or organization. But one uh, series of, uh, one semester, a guy came in for a series of weeks, he did some golf lessons for us. And now being these kids from West Virginia, we didn't play golf. I mean, golf was the furthest thing from our mind but it was kind of interesting that he comes in and he brings us clubs and balls and we go out on the soccer field and we begin to learn some basic things of golf. And we picked up just enough to make us dangerous to think, you know, we could do this, we could play golf. So one Saturday morning, my friend Rick Davison and I decided we would go and give this an attempt. And we didn't know much about the golf scene, we didn't know about country clubs, we didn't know all this stuff. So we found that there was a nearby county that had a, a, a country club that was open to the public. We could go pay, and I'm sure we found out it was on the cheaper end, so we wanted to go and play there. So we, we went to the country club, and the first thing that happened when we came in, the gentleman working behind the desk, uh, who seemed older gentleman to me, but probably wasn't much older than me now, right? Uh, he, he, he said, hey, uh, I'm sorry, you have to have a shirt with a collar to play at the, at the club here. I was like, okay, well, fortunately, my dad did give me a heads up that could be a possibility. I got one in the car, so I ran, got my shirt with a collar, put it over my T-shirt, and so we were good to go. Well, it wasn't long before that same little guy, he uh, was falling around behind us on his golf cart as we were playing, and we kept looking at each other, what are we doing wrong besides playing a terrible golf game? What are we doing here, you know? And so finally, he pulls up, and he's like, uh, fellas, do you only have one golf bag? That's all we got. It's like, well, I'm sorry, you can't, you gotta have, you both have to have a, a bag. You can't have just one bag, you're playing out of it. And we pleaded with him, and he ended up actually going and getting a bag, and we threw some clubs, mixed up the clubs, and we played that way, and he let us slide. Well, again, a few holes later, he comes back up to us. We're like, oh, again, what are we doing wrong now? And he says, you're holding people up behind you. You can't do that. We got guys out here trying to play. So the proper thing to do is to let these people go and play in front of you. And so we stood there as many people went and played ahead of us. 
And it felt very discouraging, as you can imagine. It felt very awkward. We felt very out of place. We felt like we, you know, we were constantly doing things wrong. We didn't know the insider way of doing it. And this is a lot like the early church and the way that it would have been for the Gentile believers as they began to assimilate and to join in with Jewish believers of Jesus to do church. In fact, the, the Jews had traditionally had just a, a, such a negative bias against the Gentiles. The Gentiles just mean anybody who wasn't a Jew. They referred to them as dogs, the uncircumcised. Uh, they just didn't believe they knew God, of course. They, they were pagans. And so when people began to come to Jesus and then would merge together into these church communities, it brought on a great deal of problems. And the Jewish people, known as the Judaizers, these who were still holding to Judaism, they thought that essentially that Gentiles had to become Jews in order to follow Jesus, and they wanted to combine this, you know, God's grace, what he did for Christ, through Christ, with their effort. But the good thing, and we're here today to show that this threat, which was a huge threat to the early church, and the many, many threats that followed after that, all the persecution that came along later on, could not destroy God's church, right? With thousands of years later, we're still here celebrating, worshiping, and following Jesus. Because Jesus himself promised to his disciples that I, he said, would build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Matthew 16, 18. So Jesus said, no matter what happens, no matter how much adversity, no matter how much difficulty, internally and externally, you cannot destroy my church because I'm doing something here and it's my work. And we know the church is under attack from the outside and the church has constantly been under the attack from the inside. And despite the persecution and despite deep cultural preferences and deep differences of opinion, whether it be political, social, economic, different, different opinions about things, Jesus will overcome all of these barriers to build his church. And he will enable us and give us the power to continue to carry his message and while we do it, love one another and display his his grace and his glory in the process. So we're talking about why grace, why we're here. And as was mentioned over the last few weeks, which by the way, Jeremy, I didn't tell Jeremy he was allowed to not do hands, heart, and head, all right? So that wasn't the conversation. Um, but I, I do like to end the services heart, hands, and head. But today we're gonna just mix these into the sermon as we see what we wanna learn intellectually, things that we need to take down into our hearts, and then with our hands, the things that we need to live out. So in our, with our head today, we need to remember that we are the church. You are the church. You are the church. This building is not the church. A building that you drove by with a steeple isn't the church. You are the church. And we're going to be looking a lot in the book of Ephesians during this series, during this three weeks. And I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians to help you out in the church app I put in a reading plan for Ephesians chapter 1 for this week, and it's a five-day reading plan with Tony Evans, and I encourage you to click on, join that. If you're on version, you can click there, join that group, and we'll read Ephesians chapter 1 together this week. It won't take you long at all to read each day. 
And so we're going to be reading, and we're going to look at various passages from Ephesians. We won't be going through it verse by verse. And so that's why I want to encourage you to read it. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 is where we're going to start today. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Keep that verse on the screen for a second. I want you to just look at those first few verses of Ephesians. It's amazing how rich this passage is at describing who you are as a true believer and who I am as a believer. He says that you're blessed by God the Father, you're chosen by God, he says you're holy, he says you're blameless in Christ, you are predestined by God, you were adopted by God, he says you are sons and daughters of God, and you have a purpose to fulfill because you've been chosen to fulfill his will. You've been chosen to fulfill his will. So believe it or not, as a person who is the church, your job as the church isn't just to come and fill a seat in church on Sunday. Your job is to be the church, and your job is to see what God has done in order to get you where you are today in order for you to be the church. And if you skip down just a few more verses to verses 22 and 23 there in chapter 1, Paul uses the word church for the first time. He says, and he put all things under Jesus, his feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul drops this word church, and the church, this word ecclesia, means those who have been called out, called out ones. So not a building, but a group of people who were called and placed together as a group in order to fulfill the mission that God has us on for the purpose of his will. So all of these things, chosen, blessed, predestined, all of these things about who you are, he chose you not so you could have an individualistic me and God, me and Jesus Christianity, but so that you could be put into an ecclesia, a body, you've been called out, placed in a group in order to serve God and serve one another and worship God and display him. And the main point of these verses here is the fact that Jesus, it says in verse 22, is the head over all things to the church. It stresses that it's all about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Now, we know that intellectually. We know the church isn't about the pastor. It's not about the location. Unfortunately, we know that intellectually that the church is not about a pastor, but so many people practically down to earth, they don't live that way. They think the pastor is pretty much the church because what happens? I've had many friends who are pastors, many people who are at churches, that when the pastor leaves, like half the church goes. All right, why? The church didn't move, the pastor moved. The church didn't go anywhere. I respect my parents for drilling this into my head throughout my lifetime. We grew up in a church that had a lot of difficulty, a lot of, a lot of trouble. 
early on in my young days as a Christian, just a young little guy, uh, our pastor was arrested. Um, he was conv- um, ultimately pled no contest. And anyway, the church, you know, of course, was very, very divided. He stayed, declared his innocence. It was just a horrible time. And my dad just, you know, it was just clear, especially looking back now, there was no way that he wasn't guilty of what, what had happened. But a lot of people, you know, stood by, stood by him, but a few said, no, this, this, we can't believe this guy. You know, this is not believable. And my parents were those who knew that his story wasn't true, but we didn't abandon the church like some other people. We stayed. And you may think, well, why would you stay, you know, sit there and listen to a guy who did that? Because my parents realized the church was more than the pastor and they were part of this body, and that God was going to use this for his glory and for our good. Pastor ultimately led a few years later, and the church moved on. Now, I'm not saying there's not times to leave a church if a pastor is in immorality or practicing or teaching things that are, that are wrong. There's a system in place, and you learn about this in Intro to Grace and the membership class where the elders, a plurality of leadership, who guard and protect this congregation. So the burden is not left on me as the lead pastor to make sure that everything works exactly the way it should. We have a group of elders who supervise, oversee, and I'm one of those elders. And so it not only protects me, but it gives me guys who hold me accountable and keep me focused on Jesus and doing what he has called me to do. And so what a great structure we have, because it's a biblical structure we have at Grace. But Jesus is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The elders aren't the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and he gave you and he gave me a role to play within his church because he refers to us as his body, all right, his body. So yesterday, when you wanted to turn on the TV, you probably reached out and grabbed a remote and turned it on. And you told your hand, without even thinking about it, this is what you, I want you to do. Turn on the TV, right? And, and so your body does the work. Jesus doesn't come down here and physically do the work for us. You're his body to do the work. So he chose you, Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world. He's given you this role. And as a community, we should be full of Jesus, full of him to display him through our love, through our worship, and through our service to one another, to this community. That's what we do. We display him, we show him to this community. I was in a place the other day, I don't want to say where it was, because I don't want to give away where this church could be, and I was in a place out of town, and we went to a thrift store, and we were shopping, and I struck a conversation with the lady working at the front. I said, is this thrift store connected to the church that's next door? And she said, well, at one time it was, but we sort of went different ways. I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, "Um, if you're a wealthy person, that church would love to have you. What? And she's like, oh, yeah, they're looking for wealthy people. It's like, interesting, crazy. That's an embarrassment that the church's reputation would be we're targeting wealthy, influential people. So it got me thinking when she said that, who's Grace Target? What's our target? You mean honestly tell you who our target is? If you're broken down at the end of your rope, desperate, and you know you need Jesus, that's who our target is. And I don't say that because it's a preacher thing to say. I'm saying it because that's the gospel. 
The gospel is, I don't have it. I may have some money in my bank, but I ain't got it. I may know some influential people, but I need Jesus. And he's my life. And without him, I'm desperate. And we need Christians who are still needing Jesus. You still need Jesus. And Paul talks clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 about why we need Jesus. Because he says in verse 8 and 9, verses that are familiar to you, he says, because it's by grace you've been saved. And it's through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your works. So no one can boast and say, look at me. Check me out how great I am. When you realize that it's all God's grace, you bring nothing to the table but say, I need. I need you, Jesus. When you bring that and say, I got nothing. I need the cross. I need a Savior. That's when the church is able to display God the way that we're called to do. But when you have people who are uppity and they think they've arrived, they think they have together or they pretend to have it together, and they think that, you know, look at us, look at me. You send the signals to this community that, you know what, we can't be part of you because you're a little bit above us, all right? Maybe one day we can work up and get as good as you guys and join you, but you're not, we're not there yet. And we give people a completely unrealistic view of the gospel, which says it, it's all God. It's all his work. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not anything that you did. And it's by grace through faith that you're sanctified. They become more like Jesus and we contribute to that through our efforts and through the things we do. But ultimately, it's still God's grace. He did the work, verses 3 through 5. He did all of this. And now you join him. He doesn't join you. You join him. It's by grace you've been saved. Because in our natural state, remember this. Realize this. Constantly meditate upon this. In your natural state, you and I both would have to acknowledge that we're pleasure seekers we're rule breakers and we're rebels. We are. And we're far from God apart from Jesus. I was talking to, to Roy this morning about Bobby Bowden passing away. You may have seen that over the, overnight, I guess. And he said one thing he really appreciated about Bobby Bowden was the fact that Bobby Bowden didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. And he admitted his struggles in his faith. And I, and I pried for more. I was like, what, what do you mean? What, what, what's he said? And, and really, that's the way we, we should all live, because we all have moments where we know that our faith doesn't match up to our actions. The things we say and the things we do aren't always in sync perfectly. And Bobby was quick to admit the fact that his faith didn't always come and display itself the way that he wanted it to in the football, on the football field as a coach. And those moments of emotion and passion, and, and yours and I, aren't, most of ours aren't on the sideline coaching but we are driving our car and, and going to the store, going to Walmart. You know, that'll try your faith worse than anything right and around. And, and we have these moments where sometimes we just, we don't display the grace of God. We don't remember the gospel. And we struggle. But we should own that and admit that. And not excuse it, but own it and admit it. Because we have not arrived. And that's why we sang that last song. We're longing for the day for Jesus to come and to make all this right, including us. In Romans 8, we groan as we wait for the adoption of ourselves. We want to be fully to see Jesus and to see him face to face and to know and come to the fullness of our faith in him. That's what we long for. And so we just own that. We admit that. 
And as a community, we understand that our humility is a strength, not a weakness. And so by grace, you've been saved. It's God's grace. It's God's grace that you and I would abandon our dreams, our aspirations, and our hope for a greater cause. It, it is. It, it's a grace act by God that you and I would do that. Because that's not, that doesn't come natural to you. It doesn't come natural to me. And so God says, I'm making you into this community who reflects me. And it's through your gospel humility that you are able to display my, my glory, my, my greatness. And so let's remind each other. That's the each other side of the mission statement, helping each other know and follow Jesus. You see, if church is your destination, you ain't helping anybody, all right? You, you aren't. You might be a little encouragement. Oh, it's good to see them here. And they fill a seat. But you're not helping anybody know and follow Jesus. You're coming in as a consumer, and you're just taking in, and then you're out the door. The church is called to help each other follow Jesus. And we need for each other to, to be God's grace and look for opportunities to show God's grace into each other's life. And I read this a couple days ago in New Morning Mercies and just had to work its way into the sermon because it's so good. It says, struggles to live the gospel in our relationships with others pictures how much we need the rich gospel ourselves. And the truth is, when we see ourselves leaving this place, talking bad about other people, when we see when we leave this place and we're critical and we find fault and all we do is find the negative, yes, it shouldn't be a reminder of your church. It should be a reminder of you and how much you still need the gospel, how much you still need Christ and that gospel humility to say, I need Jesus because in my natural state, it's all about me. It's not about Jesus. And so we need the gospel. So let these moments when you do fall short, when you do struggle and stumble, help it to be the reminder that you need, wow, I still need the gospel. I'm not as far along and as great as I think I am. I need the gospel. And so I hope that will remind you. And, and as I talked a few weeks ago from Psalm 86, our hearts are divided. Remember that sermon, our hearts are divided. Give me an undivided heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. And, and, and sometimes it's so tricky because, you know, we do one thing and we believe something else. I was telling the guys in the staff meeting, I think, the other day, that um, I was driving down Veda Road there right in front of Stones, and this gentleman was walking across the road, and he was in poor health, and he could barely stand up straight, and he was walking slow, and he was headed across, and he got to the edge of the street, and he really didn't even look. He just kind of just started walking across, and then he glanced over, and of course, I was stopped, and of course, I was being the friendly me that I am, and like waving, oh, yeah, go, buddy. And in my heart, you know what I was doing? I was like, why are you in the condition you're in? And why are you in my way? Divided heart, right? A divided heart. And it should be a reminder that not says, I'm better than that guy. It should say, I need Jesus more. I need the gospel more. And so, yes, we're talking about community. It's hard to love people. People rarely do what you want them to do, right? They rarely do the things that you think they should do. And it's difficult. It's hard. And we want what we want. But we remember that we didn't deserve God. God 
chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. It's by grace you've been saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So in, the, in your head, remember this. You're the church. You don't go to the church. You don't catch the church on TV. You are the church. And the church gathers together the called out ones. And this is what God has called us as the church. That's our head. But now we have to move it to our heart. We have to let the truth of it sink down here. Because we know this. The heart is when we take it in and there becomes this fire that's connected to it, this joy that's connected to it, that we, that we feel it in some way. It, it's part of who we are. And this is not to diminish the importance of truth and doctrine. We desperately need truth and we desperately need doctrine, but we can't leave it there. It has to work its way into who we are. I, I think of it this way as I was preparing the sermon. When I was in college, the only time that I would ever drink coffee was during final exams. My parents drank coffee. It was nasty to me, gross to me. But when I got to college and realized, you know, I'm going to pull an all-nighter here. I'm going to stay up late in order to excel on this exam and succeed on this exam. And so I would go down to Burger King and I'd get me the biggest coffee they would sell. And then I would come back to my dorm or go to an area to study in the library. And I would drink my coffee. And wow. Did the effect it had on me was crazy, right? I mean, I mean, I was amped, I was revved up, I had all other kinds of stuff going on that I can't describe, but right, it was like it got me going. It gave me tons of energy. And I used coffee because I needed it. I needed it and I used it and I had to have it during those times. But something amazing and strange began to happen over the years. I began to drink coffee not because I needed it because I wanted it. I loved it. it became, I can't imagine starting a day now without a cup of coffee. And it's more than just the caffeine, because I could take caffeine pills and be satisfied with, with the caffeine jitters you get, right? But I like the fact that I get to sit down and enjoy a hot cup of coffee and sip on it and take it in. It's become part of who I am. It's become part of my identity, so to speak. And you see, it became something I loved. We are what we love. And here's what I challenge you to do. If you're going to allow God to change you, you have to take in his grace, even if at this point you're doing it because you know you need it, not necessarily because you love it or have to have it, so to speak. We need the Spirit to fill us up. And if there's any concept in Scripture that's a heart kind of thing, it's this idea of the Spirit's filling in our life, the Spirit just feeling us, filling us up. I want to go to Ephesians 5. Like I said, we're skipping all around the book of Ephesians, but this is, this is so critical. Verse 18 of chapter 5 says, and do not be drunk with wine. Probably should end there for some, right? Don't be drunk with wine, right? For that's debauchery, but that's not the point here. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So something's changed, right? There's a heart cry that's happening. There's this, this joy that's exploding out because the person is filled with the Spirit, and he says, giving thanks always 
and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's amazing, right? That, that God changes your heart to the point where all of a sudden there's this picture, and this is not just the individual, but this is the community of believers. They're full of joy. They're singing, they're giving thanks, and they're submitting to one another because they're full of the Spirit. And so it's one thing to know in your head that we're the church. It's another thing to be the church, to let this sink into your heart and know that I am celebrating Jesus together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that I love Jesus and I'm going to just sing my heart out, pour my heart out, and I'm going to not only do that, I'm going to be submissive to my brothers and sisters in Christ because the Spirit has filled me up, has given me this, this song to sing, this life to live, this song, this life that's lived like a song. And it takes me back to Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were in the prison and they'd been beaten severely. They were left in there in this nasty, dirty place. And it's around midnight. And what are they doing? They're singing and they're praising God. And everybody around them, they're hearing this amazing thing that's happening. Why? Because they're full of the Spirit. That God is doing something supernatural with them and is coming out of their heart. It's not something you can just conjure up or, or hope that it happens. It happens because something's changed deep inside of you. And I want to remove some of the mystery of this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Because for years I struggled with this concept like, okay, how do I get filled with the Spirit? And I want to move, remove some of the mystical aspects of that for a second. And I've showed you this before, but we need to be reminded of this. How do we get filled with the Spirit? How, do we, how are we full of the Spirit? Because so many times we're looking for the Spirit in some extraordinary way. But get this, remember this. But life isn't lived there. Life is lived in the mundane and the ordinary and the everyday little things that we do. That's where we live our lives. That's where we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit not just for these climactic moments and these experiences. We need the Spirit to go to Walmart and to, and to drive our car through town and to live life in relationships and submitting to each other. That takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So how are we filled with the Spirit? Parallel passage in Colossians. Like I said, I've showed you this before. I hope you remember it. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you have two different passages. One that says, be filled with the Spirit. The other says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But the outcome is the same, which is what? The outcome is there's this joy that comes out of you, out of your heart, deep inside of you. And there's this mutual submission that comes out of you. Because the word of Christ dwells richly in you and because you're full of the Spirit. So I would argue that you're filled with the Spirit to the degree that Christ's words abide in you. Let me say that again. You are filled with the Spirit to the, to the degree that Christ's words abide in you. And so what is that about? It's just about preaching the gospel to yourself, knowing the word, allowing the word to permeate who you are and change who you are. It's like taking that cup of coffee and enjoying it. It started out just, I need it. I know it's good for me because it's going to get me through this exam and, and I need to take it in, but it turns into I can't wait for my morning coffee. 
right? I can't wait to just allow it to touch my lips and sink in me and just, just let me relax and enjoy the morning and give me some energy on, the, on top of it. And that's the way it is with Jesus. And again, that's not just preacher talk here. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I could ask, raise your hand if you've tasted and the Lord is good, and many hands would go up because you know it's to be true. And there's times when it has to be, I need it. And this is where you start out. I need it. I know I need it. I'm getting up because I know I need it. And I'm going to read it because I need it. But if you'll stay with that, and you'll stick with it, and you'll ask the Holy Spirit, show me the truth of your word. Allow me to see Jesus and more of him. Then all of a sudden, over time, you'll see. Not only do I need it, I want it. I delight in it. I'm excited because it's my life. It's the air I breathe. It's my food. It's my nourishment because I understand that my purpose isn't my aspirations, my dream, my goal. I gave that up at the cross. I left that at the cross. Yes, I'm continuing to do the things I'm doing. I'm, I'm still a lawyer, but I'm a Jesus follower first. I'm still a mechanic, but I'm a Jesus follower first. And so God's word gives me the strength to every day go to Jesus and say, I need you. I need the gospel. I need to preach the gospel for my, to myself. I need when I'm waving that guy across and waving at him, I need to preach the gospel to myself and say, oh, wretched man that you are, John. Thanks be to Jesus. Father, I just confess that to you. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be united of hearts. And that's preaching the gospel to yourself. It doesn't mean you never do the things that you shouldn't do. It means that you quickly to, to recognize that. And you're allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly. It's filling you up. And all of a sudden, your reactions begin to change. And all of a sudden, there's less of this, and it's more real. I mean, it, it, it's stuff that's coming out of you that's joyful, and it's amazing. And you're, you can say in the midst of trial, like Paul and Silas, we're going to praise the Lord. Our backs hurt. We can barely walk. These chains don't feel very good. That guard, the way he's treating us, is horrible. But we're going to sing and make melody to the Lord because he's good. And he's redeemed us. And they can take away our life, but they can't take away our salvation. We're going to go see Jesus. So you're filled with the Spirit to the, to the degree that Christ's words abide in you. So know the word. Let it permeate you. Continue in those habits. Don't get bored with the ordinary means of God's grace. Don't get bored with the ordinary means of God's grace. Don't be waiting for the next experience. Oh, I wish they'd ever sang that worship song today because, man, I would have been, like, up here. You know, I was sitting back there, and I was thinking, you know what? There's just some days you feel it and some days you don't. Some people are like, yeah, it's great. And other people are like, well, it wasn't good as last week, you know. What? Right? Like, really? All right? Really, don't get bored with the ordinary means of God's grace. It's not about you, and it's not about your feelings. It's about Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas. They didn't feel it, but they did it, right? They didn't feel it from a physical point of view, but they felt it here because their hearts were changed. They were sipping on Jesus and loving every moment of it. And so know that you're the church. Allow God to permeate and change your heart through his means of grace and then your hands 
just practically, just be the church. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 22. Please go back and read Ephesians this week. So rich, and we can't cover it all. I've done the whole book before. It says, verse 22, In him you also are being built, key word here, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By the Spirit. We just talked about the Spirit. By the Spirit, you're being built together to be a dwelling place. So we think of a dwelling place for a God. We think of a temple. We think of a tabernacle. We think of a, a building. And he's saying you are being built together. When we, being the body of Christ, join together and come together and are functioning within our identity of who God says we are, and we're working and serving one another in humility, then all of a sudden we become the dwelling place of God, that people see Grace Church and they see there's something different about us. And so to do that, you don't do it in a chair. You do it in relationships. Doing life together in community is a physical demonstration of the grace of God. Doing life in community is a physical representation, demonstration of the grace of God. Relationships built around Jesus and the gospel are living illustrations of the gospel and the power of God's grace. And this is all not only achieved by the Spirit, but it all happens in the Spirit. And what's that mean? In the heart. There's a change deep down inside of us. The Spirit does His work. And all of a sudden, it's not about the externals. It's not about coming to a performance. It's not about being a spectator. It's about being part of something much bigger than us. And it's through these relationships with one another that God's house is being built up and displayed for the world to see. For years, I wanted to find this specific illustration, and I could never find it. And this is going to be about as close as I can get. But I always wanted to find an artist who could take pictures of people and place them together in a collage, I guess you would call it, in order to become a picture of Jesus. Well, this is the closest one I found right there. This isn't all pictures of people, but it's pictures of various things with a few people thrown in there. And that's a beautiful illustration of what the church should be. You got these people on the, the, the peripheral, and maybe they don't have the obvious gifts, and they're not the most visible in the church. But nevertheless, they come together to make the picture of Jesus the way it should be. They paint a clearer picture of Jesus when combined with the rest of the community. And in, in Ephesians, it says we all have been given spiritual gifts and roles some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. We've been given different roles, but it's for the building up of the body. It's for, the scripture says in Ephesians, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's not so you can get a better experience in here. It's so that you can go out from this place and live for the glory of Jesus and be dependent upon your brothers and sisters in Christ in the process. We like to call that fight clubs where we're meeting with people eye-to-eye, face-to-face, a few people, and we're calling each other out. We're encouraging each other. We're like, have you been in the Word? How are you doing with that? Are you displaying Jesus in your marriage? We need those relationships because the world's a difficult, selfish, and a tough place. 
and it's easy to get sucked into the negativity and the division. And Jesus reminds us, you got a greater calling. Look, I've been around for a long time, and my church has been around for a long time, and the gates of hell have been attacking my church pretty aggressively over the years. But you know what? I'm building the church. It's going to be built. It's going to happen. So jump in, get involved, and don't, involved, and don't let all the things that are happening in the world distract you from that. Called out once. We've been called out to be part of a group. We're different. The Scripture says we're peculiar people. We're, we're different. We stand out not because of our political beliefs or our social beliefs or our economic status. We stand out because of our love for Jesus and our dedication to Jesus. So summing it up, your head, you are the church. Heart, authentic, gospel-driven community is a natural outgrowth of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You've got to let it dwell in you richly. And then hands, be the church. If we are truly going to help other people and love other people and be Jesus to other people and help each other grow in Christ, we must, we must have relationships where we can be the church to one another. And for grace, really practically, we try to do the best we can through K-groups to do that. It's, it's nothing super cool and amazing. It's just literally putting some people together and saying, build some bonds, build some friendships around Christ, around the gospel, and, and grow in these relationships, and encourage each other, and reach out and help each other. And when somebody hurts, you all hurt. When somebody needs some care, you rally around them and you care for them. And so it just gives us an avenue where we don't just sit and stare at me, but we're in groups and we're helping each other. And, and you're part of a, a group that's going to really, really be the body of Christ for one another. So I hope just on a really practical hands basis, you'll get involved in a K group this year. Let the word of Christ dwell in you and be who God has called you to be. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that just brings truth to us, God, and it's so easy to, um, even though we sit in church week after week and many times K-groups and other Bible studies, that sometimes we just miss the main things, that it is about you. And we join you, you don't join us. And it's not about our entertainment and our fun. God, it's about Jesus and his name being lifted up, preaching the gospel, letting people know there's something different, living a life that reflects you, loving each other so well that people see there's something different about our community. And God, I pray that you will help us to be the church better in 2021 than we've ever been. In a world that hates us more, is more uh, turned off by the way that we live our lives and the things we believe from your word, but God, through our love and our commitment and our dedication to each other, may they see there's something amazing. And God, those who you've called and chosen and predestined, God, those people who come will respond and, 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 and decide to follow Jesus and know Jesus and be part of your kingdom and your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.